Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the uh, 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane, and uh, this week, uh, uh, our good co-host Chris Henry is on assignment, so uh, we have a different uh, (laughs) co-host. And who might that be? Oh, wait. (laughs) I know this one. It's me, Hal Bryan, from the Experimental Aircraft Association, also like Chris, and uh, but best known on the internet world as uh, your co-host from the Rocketeer Minute. Yes, and it's, it's great. It's great having you back, Hal. I appreciate it very much. Oh, it's um, my pleasure. Fun to get the band back together once in a while. And uh, and it's it's also a movie that you know Chris Chris loves, but I know you love it as well. Um, it's uh, it's got space and and Tom Hanks and uh, and James Horner music. So what what else can you ask for in a movie? It, there's there's nothing else to ask for. No, they they couldn't uh, they couldn't work a Nazi saboteurs in. But there's enough <laughs> there's enough uh, mayhem going on that you don't really need a a large man in a pork pie hat uh, lumbering around. Exactly. You know, this is one of those movies that uh, and. You know, and I, I think you and I have have touched on this in other discussions, other shows before. But um, when you look at movies that are based on actual events, you know, I always imagine uh, the writers' room during uh, the making of Pearl Harbor or Titanic. Those are two that I that I like picking on, even though I have affection for pieces of both movies. Um, they're sitting in there saying, "Okay, this is one of these momentous things in human history." You know, the ship's going to sink or there's this horrible surprise attack that brings us into World War II. And then some other guy's sort of scratching his chin and says, well, yes, how do we make it interesting? <laughs> and, and that's when you've got to add the, you know, the spurious love interests and everything else. And, you know, Apollo 13 certainly isn't a, a documentary, but you really don't have the sense that there is just, you know, th- th- there's not a whole other third of it tacked on as just total manufactured drama. Yeah, and, and we've, we've already talked in the, in the past episodes uh, with uh, Fredo Hayes about how his character, he didn't really resemble the character that's on the screen. That You know, it, it's like he's not Bill Paxton, uh, sure. you know, game over man kind of yeah. <laughs> Game over man. Yeah, so, uh, but, uh, but really in, uh, in listening to the actual... Uh, the, the the actual transmissions from from Apollo thirteen, both from uh, from the ground and and from up in space, uh, it's very laco- not I wouldn't say laconic, but it's just kind of th- they give the information that's required, and nobody seems to be freaking out. Well, let's uh, well, actually this is from a, about uh, uh, five minutes ago, but uh, right now let's play the uh, the actual uh, recording of Jack Lausma asking uh, Apollo 13 to stir their cryo tanks, the, the kind of the start of this whole uh, menace here. So, 13, we've got one more item for you when you get a chance. We'd like it to uh, stir up your cryo tanks. In addition, I have a shaft and trunnion. Okay. Or look at the Comet Bennett if you need it. Okay. Stand by. Okay, so yeah, and one of the things I mean, they had to leave out everything that was going on except for the the disaster. One of those things you just heard that Jack Lausma was mentioning there was if they needed the uh, uh, azimuth numbers for where they could find Comet Bennett. Comet Bennett was uh, a big deal in 1970 that they could actually do some extra atmospherical uh, views of the constellation. So they were, or not the the comet. So uh, they were going to get some good high resolution pictures, but of course. 
as things would develop in the next uh, few minutes, that Comet Bend kind of went off the page along with the moon landing and everything else. So uh, actually, let's listen to uh, it, it, one of the things, you know, I mean, it's Tom Hanks' movie. He gets to be the star of the show. So he gets to say we've had a problem. But if you listen to this uh, initial one here, it's not uh, not Jim Lovell that says it, but uh, uh, Jack Swigert is the one that actually makes the initial comment, and uh, Lovell comes back and repeats the message that Swigert sent to Houston. So let, let's listen to that right now. Okay, Houston, uh, we've had a problem here. This is Houston. Say again, please. What we hear in there is a lot. It's a lot different from what we're what we're hearing in the movie because uh, they first you know, Jim Lovell comes back and said, you know, "Houston, we've had a problem," and this is during this is happening during the shift team the, the shift change. They're just going to the black team. So Jack Lausma had been briefing the next uh, Capcom what was going on. So that's why there's that there's that pause because he was in a, he was away from his console and he was like, oh, "What? What's going on?" So yeah, you uh, talk about just the unfortunate timing that that. Uh... You know, that first Houston, we've had a problem and that long, long pause. It just feels like it's there for an eternity. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he's probably a couple of consoles over and it's like, we say what? So right. um, and then, uh, you know, Fredo comes back in and mentions that they had a large bang. But the the main bus B undervolt kind of goes away for a little bit. It just, you know, it kind of rebounds. And he's like, well, it's it looks it's looking OK now. Right. You know, and, and the. You know that the sort of uh, popular culture expectation, um, I, even long before the movie came around, is that uh, you know everything blew up and these three guys were hurtled out of control. and And it's it's fascinating to hear them report. You know the problem they're reporting isn't a isn't a bang, isn't a catastrophic explosion, isn't anything. Um, it's you know it it's a it's not a check engine light, but it's a, it's an enunciator <laughs> about about you know low voltage on one of the electrical buses. Yeah, from from what I understand, most pilots go through a uh, an emergency of some kind in their flying career, and I'm sure, sure. you've had you've had ones where wait, this isn't <laughs> this is supposed to say something and it's saying zero. So, <laughs> well, it's really it's interesting to me to hear those voices, hear those recordings, um, and in fact, just recently uh, we had uh, we had at our museum as a guest. The uh, air traffic controller who was working flight, uh, working New York TRACON when Flight 1549 landed in the Hudson 10 years oh ago. 
And uh, you listen to him on the recordings. You listen to Sully on those recordings. I've heard, um, I've heard my own voice on uh, air traffic control recordings after declaring an emergency uh, when uh, uh, losing an engine and, and, and prepping to possibly make an emergency landing. And um, in the, there's a common theme in that uh, um, I think everybody sounds calmer than they are. And one of the things that, that we talked about with the controller that, that uh, got really interesting to me was, because um, I've seen this myself, whether it's flying or in you know, a couple of careers ago, working in law enforcement and emergency medicine, things like this, getting into some sort of stressful, high-intensity, potentially dangerous or risky situation. And, you know, mercifully, uh, having the, the training and, and experience to be able to pack up all the worry and the panic and everything else and just postpone that until later. We're going to put that all in a box and we're going to deal with that after the fact when, you know, everything's over and everything's good and you can put your feet up on the couch and have a beer. One of the things that I think uh, that I found that some people can do that, but they have to remember they always have to come back and deal with it. Because if you don't, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that's where, that's where uh, you know, certainly nothing I've, I've been in would, would qualify, but that's where your PTSD and things start to come in, I think, is when you're, um, you're calm and cool under the circumstances because you have to be, because maybe it's life and death, and then you never get around to sort of going and, you know, cashing that check, so to speak. Yeah, now, I, I would assume that the, the most careful <laughs> pre-flight inspection is right after you've lost an engine. The next time you get back <laughs> in a plane, you're looking at, you're, you're unscrewing yeah. the spark plugs. and <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's... Turning the tires inside out for some yeah. reason. The, um, <laughs> uh, when I've taught uh, the private pilot ground schools and things like that, I, I've told people that one of the, the most important lesson you can learn. And, you know, I, I, I beg people to, you know, borrow it from me. Don't, don't go out and learn it yourself, but is that it can happen to me you know, whatever, whatever it is. And, uh, cause it's, you know, you, you train and you train and you train and you practice and practice and practice, but somewhere deep down in the back of your mind, you, you know, it's, it's going to happen to somebody else, but it's not going to happen to me. I'm going to have a nice, happy, safe, safe life. And, and for the most part you do, but the good news is, is that, uh, you're well enough prepared that when something does go wrong, you're ready. Yeah. Uh, let's let's listen to another piece here. We're gonna uh, we're gonna be listening to Jim Lovell explaining what he saw going on, and uh, you know they're 178,000 nautical miles away from Earth. So they and, and although the mission control has uh, telemetry, they can't hear all the pops and pings and and all kinds sure. of whistles that are going off in the in the capsule. So let's let's listen to this next little bit here where uh, Jim Lovell is describing. Um, what was happening with their computer while all this uh, mayhem was going on around them. And uh, Houston, we had a restart on our computer. We had a pink light and, uh, and the restart reset. Roger, restart and a pink light. Restart on a pink okay. reset. And, uh, and I'm looking at our service module RCS uh, helium one. We have uh, B as barber pole and D as barber pole. Helium 2, D is barber pole, and uh, secondary propellants, I have uh, A and uh, C barber pole. T-Mag temperatures. Okay, AC2 is showing zip. I'm uh, trying to reconfigure on that, Jack. 
Roger. Yeah, we got a uh, main bus A undervolt now, too, Sean. Main A undervolt. It's reading about 25 and a half. Main B is reading zip right now. Yeah, so that's a, there's a lot to unpack in that little thing where they're talking back and forth. Um, notably, the uh, uh, Lovell's trying to give them a, a more information, but also uh, uh, Fredo and uh, Jack are also chiming in about different uh, systems, uh, notably the, uh, the BMAG, which is the body-mounted uh, attitude gyro. So they're not only have they lost some uh, uh, power, but now they're losing oxygen, and of course their uh, now their main A bus undervolt comes in. So that means both both electrical systems are failing. And it's interesting too. One of the first things you hear is the computer coming back up, and that's uh, you know we have such a very different perception of what that means, you know, <laughs> uh, to us now. Have you guys ever, ever talked about, and I, I wish I had numbers off the top of my head, and perhaps you do, you do, but have you guys talked about just the actual limited yeah. computing power on board? Uh, yeah, I, th I think that's a, that's a constant refrain in this about that. It's, it's like 1K of, of memory, and it's all hardwired, and, um, and basically everything flowed through that computer, the, the DSKY, the uh, everything you know all the programs that things from uh from getting telemetry to uh to adjusting you know finding its place in space to firing the rcs system and firing the sps system that all went through that little computer with really some of the best tightest coding ever written in the history of mankind absolutely that's it's just staggering you're talking 1k of memory and i just saw as we're recording this just saw this morning uh that you can now get an sd card with a terabyte on it and, oh my and gosh that's let's see that's a thousand 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 times the storage and it, joe blow on the street can just buy one and put it in their camera or their you know tablet or whatever yeah Have another another terabyte of of storage it absolutely blows my mind yeah and uh you know this is the systems are continuing to fail here you're hearing stuff i mean not only losing the computer but losing uh one of the three gyros that's uh on the on, on the on the Apollo, I mean, we we talked with Frank Borman uh, a week or two ago about how they had three gyros to back each other up, but now losing this uh, this body mounted one, um, you've lost your place in space. If if that one's going going offline, it's uh, well. And it's interesting too. You hear them rattling off uh, uh, which gauges are are barber pulled. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm trying to picture that. Uh, sort of abo aboard the spacecraft in, in an airplane, sometimes you'll have um, you'll have a barber pole on an airspeed indicator, which is a sort of an extra needle and it's got red and white stripes, hence the name. That's moving to tell you uh, it, that adjusts to sort of warn you about um, basically a safe maximum airspeed, and uh, it'll it'll move because of changing altitude and other other conditions and things on it. On a typical, and that's usually you, it refers to a limiting Mach number, so it's it's faster airplanes. On a typical general aviation airplane, Cessna 172 or something, sometimes the altimeter will have it, and it's more of a binary indication. It's like if you see the barber pole, you're below 10,000 feet. If it rolls away, and and the hands of the altimeter have sort of gone all the way around once, it's just it tells you at a glance when there's no barber pole, it's just telling you, okay, now. Remember yeah. to add ten thousand to your altitude. Yeah. 
so it's yeah it's it's not quite a trouble light but it's it's kind of out of range is what that what that means right and they're getting a whole bunch of barber poles which is never a good sign if it, no if it's, you're, no, you're far you're far off the reservation with this one so um, <laughs> 178,000 miles or so yeah. off would you say <laughs> yes. going the wrong way yes going yeah. the wrong way so is this uh, the um this must be the 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 farthest away anybody has ever been to have any kind of an emergency. It has to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything going on. Uh, there really, I mean, there was a problem in uh, Apollo 10, I think it was, where there was a there was a problem where the uh, the lunar module after it had they, had they had tested the abort sequence on the lunar module, and. The problem was that they had uh, the wrong radar on. I may be misremembering this, but they had the wrong radar on, and the the lunar module was trying to attempt to redock with the command module through the middle of the moon. And it's like, that's not the way he wanted to go. No. Um, Sometimes the most direct route is not the best. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think they were calling back to uh, Houston saying I I don't know what's wrong. It's more like turn everything off. We're going to go to manual. I think that's right. how. That's how that was handled. I, I'm probably going to get a lot of mail about that. It's like, no, you idiot. This is not the way. It, but, but I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was Apollo 10 where they had just left the wrong thing on, and when they did the uh, uh, the fire and the whole abort, it, it it was trying to plot a course through the center of the moon. Wow. So and uh, the uh, the Apollo 11 was was getting pretty much fuel critical on uh, touchdown on the lunar surface, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So. It was, it was, um, and that was, I mean, Neil, Neil was, uh, was overriding a bunch of things because he saw a bunch of rocks and boulders coming up. So he was getting, getting, getting a little bit hard with, I mean, he actually canceled out their, uh, he can't, he canceled out their descent and started ascending. And then, uh, he also started revert, you know, kind of going into reverse to get, to get back where he was. So that really messed with the, with the fuel ratings. It, it, it's interesting. I'm, as, as we're recording here, the, uh, uh the Chang, Cheng A uh, four uh, lunar uh, uh, lander from uh, China uh, has recently landed on the far side of the moon, and uh, one of the one of the news uh, items from the China press was uh, a video of the uh, the Chang'e four uh, lander going for its uh, for for its final position on the landing, and the, the way they do things is a lot different from the way we handled the lunar module descents where we'd slowly slowly cut back on the horizontal uh, velocity as at the same time as we were getting rid of vertical velocity so you just kind of land in an arc until you yeah, at the at the point of touchdown you had canceled out your horizontal velocity right and with the, the the chinese method is they just cancel out all horizontal velocity at a high altitude and then just drop like a, an elevator or more like a rock but oh interesting <laughs> and it that was always my strategy when playing Atari Lunar Lander, so I thought, ah, justified at last. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because we, uh, my wife and I, got ourselves uh, uh, one of these three quarter scale stand up arcade machines for Christmas. Ah. That's got it's splashed with centipede and asteroid graphics, but it also includes Lunar Lander and a, you know a dozen or so other games. And and just this morning, just a few hours ago, I was. Standing there playing Lunar Lander, and I was, you know, I was back in the Gold Mine Arcade at SeaTac Mall in Federal <laughs> Way, Washington, shoving well, a in fistful quarters of quarters. To, yeah, yeah, a fistful of quarters, trying to buy more fuel, <laughs> and uh, and that's that's always interesting. It's always that uh, 
you know, for such a silly, simple little vector graphic game, you, you learn a thing or two about, oh, yeah, but, you know, but, how much fuel it costs to land. And, yeah. and that, that strategy you just talked about, I, yeah. I was doing that same thing today. So this time, no, I want horizontal velocity at zero when I'm over the target. Then I'm just going <laughs> to just gonna gently uh, do a few burns on the way down. And, and uh, let's just say uh, when you own the machine, you always have high score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It, it, you know, I think 99% of everything I know about of uh, orbital mechanics I learned from either Lunar Lander or the Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just uh, I, it, three years of school, and it didn't it didn't didn't help as much as a couple of couple of plays on on, on a video game. But, uh, Drop out of school, by, kids. Go play video games. That's yeah, the message yeah. Here. You know, like the 4-H says, learn by doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, we've got a, we've got a couple more uh, to listen to here. Uh, let's listen to this uh, this next cut where uh, Jim Lovell is going over how how little time they have left and what's what's happening. Thirteen Houston, we'd like you to open circuit fuel cell one. Leave two and three as is. Okay, I'll get to work on that. And uh, Jack, uh, our O2 quantity uh, number two tank is ringing zero. Did you get that? O2 quantity number two is zero. That's AC, okay. Yeah, that's, that's because of AC. And it looks to me, looking out the uh, hatch, that we are venting something. We are uh, we are venting something out uh, into the uh, into space. Roger, we copy your venting. It's a gas of some sort. Yeah, so that is a pretty uh, pretty scary moment. I mean, we we all know what that means. And uh, Chris had mentioned uh, last week that uh, that when he talked to Jim Lovell about this, that people always say the Houston we have a problem is the moment of Apollo 13 when everything came down. But th- they were dealing with it as a problem until Jim Lovell looked out the the big square window over his head and and said, "That's you know <laughs> that ain't right. It's uh <laughs> you know imagine seeing your your ship just blowing all of its oxygen out. You know, if you look, he, he, he mentions that the O2 tank is empty and he looks out the window and sees just a pile of steam coming out of uh, right behind him. Uh, not uh, a good day. And he knows at that moment that this isn't a faulty gauge. This isn't a, you know, bad sensor or something or a, a spurious reading. Um, but even just how calm everybody is again, you keep hitting this, uh, but it's just, you know, copy, you understand, uh, you know, O2 is at zero. It's, you know, fellas, it's uh, been good to know you. What, what? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a, there's no no time for commentary. They're just describing what they're seeing and having right. a having you know, three sets of eyes out there in the middle of space checking all this stuff out. And and, diff- and they're all doing their own roles. I mean, uh, Fred Hayes is reading off the uh, the, the dials and gauges. Uh, uh, Swigert's trying to establish a system status on how, uh, you know, how the whole thing is working together. And... Really, uh, the commander is is acting as an observer, trying to figure out what you know. Well, overall, what's what's happening to both the ships, and, and how you know how to how to respond. All right. Uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, I was uh, uh, moderating a, a discussion, or sort of the MC moderator, with uh, two of the Apollo thirteen uh, controllers, and and of course now I'm embarrassed. I'm drawing a blank on names. We'll have to look that up. Um, but anyway, it was one of the things that came up that I thought was so interesting. Uh, about this when you look at this any of these missions but of course you look at this one in particular as as that quote most successful failure unquote um is that you've got you've got astronauts who are you know they're they're cut from the the test pilot mentality and and everything else and you 
you you want to have this picture of them or the the cliches you have this picture of them they're gonna put their shades on and chop a cigar and grab the stick and you know and get out of there and then instead it's you've got an, an army of people you've got the three guys up there you got everybody on the ground who you know they're not saying you know go left go right they're saying let us all work together and invent a procedure to fix this problem and here's a series of checklist items to do you know i want you to reset this circuit okay i'll work on that you know then you're going to do this and then then you're going to do that and uh it's it staggering how you know in spite of of sort of outward appearances and even how some of the guys might be uh, on the ground or in their Corvettes, there isn't uh, there isn't an ego anywhere involved. No. Yeah. I, they're not really, they're not arguing about it. I mean, Jack, Jack Lausma is really their point man on, on this as Capcom. He's the astronaut representative on the ground. And just imagine what's going on in his earpiece while he's talking with, you know, with the astronauts up in space. He's, oh, pr- he's right. probably got teams of people saying, tell him this, tell him that. Don't forget to mention this. And, you know, and they're showing Gene Krantz and uh, Glenn Lunny was also working at that, at that particular shift. But it's easier just to boil it down and make it, make it one mission controller. But sure. having, having uh, uh, Gene Lunny, uh, Glenn Lunny and, uh, and Gene Krantz talking in his ear and telling him this and that and also hearing all the other, you know, Fido and um, and Guido and all the other systems people telling them this is broken, this is not working, and it could be this or that. Trying to sort all that out and then turn it into a single voice going up to uh, the Apollo astronauts and saying, this is what you need to know right now. And, uh, it's incredible. And I, I've never heard in any of these recordings anybody just say, guys, shut up, I'm talking. <laughs> you know, just give me a second for crying out loud. I'm, I'm on the uh, phone with space. Uh, we're gonna. This next part we're gonna listen to is uh, uh, the part that we see Tom Hanks trying to talk back and saying, "Are you sure that you want to do this? Are you really sure that you want us to shut down the the uh, fuel cells and all that?" Uh, but really, it's it's not. For one thing, it's not Jim Lovell that's that's going to be making this uh, this discussion. But it's they're just trying to be clear to make sure that they don't make any further mistakes. Because uh, as we talked before, that the fuel cells. Are basically it's like a candle and you've lit a candle to make uh, uh, to make water and electricity and once you blow out that candle you can't go in the back of the ship and light it again so uh, this this next part that we're going to listen to here is uh, is that uh, discussion between uh, Fredo and the ground and uh, and also Jack Swagger so let, let's listen to that next okay 13 this is Houston it appears to us that we're uh, losing O2 flow through uh, fuel cell 3 so uh, we want you to close the react valve on fuel cell three. It looks like fuel cell one and two are trying to hold up okay. You copy? Uh, you're saying uh, fuel cell one and two, uh, one and two are trying to hold up, but uh, we're leaking O2 out of fuel cell three, and you want me to uh, shut the react uh, valve on fuel cell three. Did I hear you right? That's affirmative. Uh, close the react valve on fuel cell three. Okay, I'll uh, I'll go to the SSR page. Uh, you want me to go through that whole smash for uh, fuel cell shutdown? Is that correct? Stand by. Apollo uh, 13, now uh, 180,098 nautical miles uh, from Earth. 
Velocity now reading 3,219 feet per second. We're at uh, 56 hours, 58 minutes now into the flight. Okay, 13, uh, we want you to uh, turn the inline heaters off on fuel cell 1. Then we want you to go through the fuel cell shutdown procedure on fuel cell 3. Read back. Okay, shut down the inline heaters on fuel cell 1. We're proceeding with the shutdown special subroutine for fuel cell 3. That's affirmative. Okay. Quite a bit of... Uh, back and forth there, they're not in disagreement. I, I mean, I don't hear anything where they're they're stifling an argument about it. No, absolutely not. It's just everybody's uh, working through and and starting things. So there, there's, uh, you know, you hear a little bit of double checking. You're sure it's fuel cell three and sounds like one and two are okay, or you know, we're confident in that. But um, otherwise, they're going to do uh, what they can do. Yeah, it's uh, they all they all realize what that the moon's gone, but I think they realized the moon's gone once they saw that all the oxygen was blowing out of the side of their ship. Um, I think this is kind of just the uh, yeah, the postscript to it. Yeah, the the mission just changed in a split second at that point. It's you know this isn't exploration anymore. This is uh, this is how do we survive? How do we get home? Yeah, and I I, I mean the re the read to me in the movie is. I mean, the way Tom Hanks re, you know, says the line, it's more like, but we can't land on the moon then. It, it, but I don't, think, I don't think can't land on the moon was part of their vocabulary at this point. Yeah, I think it was more like, do you really want me to shut that off because I can't turn it back on? And there goes all of our power for that particular thing. I think right. that's, that's how I'm hearing it on, on this particular transmission. And amazing, too, to hear the, uh, uh, toward the end of that clip, the updated distance. It was 198,000 miles, and they're moving at 30, what, 3,219 feet per second, which is yeah, you know, something yeah. like and, ex and accelerating. And accelerating, know, something like yeah. 2,200 2, miles an hour. Yeah, they're falling and, to the moon. And, and at this point, remember at this point, uh, I mean, they, don't bring it real, they really don't bring it up in the movie, but this is, to, to me, this is the scary part. They're not yet on a free return trajectory. They abandoned that the day before. Oh, so that's that they right. Could, remember, because what they were trying to do uh, with the Saturn 4B was uh was have an impact on the moon so that it could set off the seismic uh, uh detectors that were there for apollo 11 and 12. so they abandoned the uh the, the free return trajectory which would have whipped them around the moon and come back so now they have to figure out how to get them back on that trajectory using the lunar module's descent engine and uh not a yeah. <laughs> not an easy piece of work and, and, and here they are shutting them down and, yeah, yeah exactly and then and their gyros doesn't work and <laughs> so uh, it's it is just staggering. Yeah. Um, okay. So let, let's let's hear this uh, this next little bit. I think it's sort of self explanatory, but let's 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 play it and and, and find out if it is self explanatory. So. <laughs> okay, Jack. It looks like O2 tank one pressure is just a hair over two hundred. We confirm that here, and uh, temperature also confirms it. Okay. Does it look like it's still going down? It's uh, slowly going to zero, and uh, we're uh, starting to think about uh, lamb lifeboat. Yeah, that's what we're thinking about, too. Do you want me to do a quick P-52? It kind of looks like uh, we've been talking it over, and it kind of looks like we probably align our plat uh, lamb platform with our platform and then power down the CM, uh, keep the lamp powered up, 
doing uh, dips, uh, whatever dips burns you give us? Uh, 13, uh, we're not going to uh, concern ourselves uh, at the moment with a uh, dips burn. It's going to be uh, some time before we uh, get to that, but we're working on other procedures to give you, which will uh, allow us to use the LEM system, over. Okay, real fine. So this is what uh, Chris and I had talked about this last week with um, uh, Fred Hayes uh, had mentioned Lem lifeboat in all this. They they already had you know they had talked about this on simulations of using Lem lifeboat, and all all he had to do is say uh, or, or Jack Lausma had to say yeah we're thinking about doing Lem lifeboat and Fredo goes right into this whole discussion about yeah we're gonna turn off the power in the CM power up the lunar module and move all the uh, uh, the data over to uh, over to the lunar module and do the DPS burn to get them back on the free return trajectory uh, somewhere in there. And Jack mentions that it's uh, it's not going to come up until seventy nine hours, so don't worry about don't worry about it too much because they're they're gonna they're gonna deal with it as it comes along. They're only at what fifty six hours here, so they've got almost twenty hours to to figure it out. Yeah, I, I love that bit at the end. That just very very calm. You know, we're going to cross that bridge <laughs> when yeah. we get there. Don't worry about the burn <laughs> right now. And it's fascinating to hear just that first mention, as you said, you know, we're thinking LEM lifeboat, and yet we're thinking the same thing. And, you know, the the cliche sort of is that uh, that they came up with that whole concept sort of on the fly, and yet, you know, obviously it was, you know, it already had a name. They had some shorthand yeah. to say this is a, you know, this is a thing we're going to we're going to try. We we you know I know what you mean. You know what I mean when I say limb lifeboat. So that's really interesting. What uh, one of the uh, I actually I think it was on your show where uh, uh, on on the green dot when you had Frank Borman on and you had asked if there was a problem. You know, did he consider that without bringing uh, the lunar module with him that uh, he didn't have a lifeboat? And Frank just said, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's vintage Frank right there. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That was by the way. I have to. I, I've said this before on the show. It was one of the best days of my life when, <laughs> meeting Frank Borman because he was just he's astonishing. He's just a he's the guy you want in that in that uh, left seat <laughs> when you're going to the moon. Absolutely. Uh, just a, a stunner of a guy. Um, and uh, we've got one last one. This is a uh, uh, the the guy I feel sorry for in the in this whole thing is the. Uh, uh, the PAO, the public affairs officer, who has to basically he's the front line who has to tell everybody what the stakes are and what's going on and what they're planning on doing about it and do it in a very calm voice. Um, one of the things as we play this next piece, listen to it and imagine imagine a NASA uh, a NASA official using some of the words that are that are mentioned in this ne- in this next piece uh, to you know just the the general public in in discussing a problem. Uh, so let, let's play that next bit. This is Apollo Control at 57 hours 46 minutes ground elapsed time. The black team of flight controllers is now on station in Mission Control Center looking at possible alternate missions as we have an apparent serious oxygen leak in the cryogenic oxygen in the service module. And now in the process of powering down the command module, less than 15 minutes remaining of uh, electrical power to the CSM. The command module surge tank has been charged with uh, oxygen for entry. 
in this scheme of going across to the lunar module, uh, still connected uh, with the open tunnel, the lunar module would serve as a sort of lifeboat for the crew of Apollo 13. Sometime later in the mission, uh, it is expected that they would return to the free return trajectory, which they left yesterday in the mid-course correction burn number two. At the Paracynthian near the moon, uh, they would use the descent propulsion system of the lunar module for trans-Earth injection burn at about 79 hours, 30 minutes ground elapsed time. This would produce a day early entry at about 142 hours. That is a day earlier than a nominal free return entry. We're continuing to monitor the situation and uh, still live on air ground. So what do you think, Al? <laughs> That's just absolutely, absolutely amazing. So laconic, so easygoing. It's even describing, we're talking about using this as a lifeboat. We've had a critical leak. We're still on the air. We're coming back about a day earlier than a nominal free return. Um, tossing in words like paracentium. <laughs> paracentium, yeah. <laughs> Everybody going to the dictionary going, what does that mean? So, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and even mentioning, yeah, they they filled up the surge tank, so there's you know they've got half an hour of air for uh, for reentry in the in the command module, so they'll actually be able to breathe while they're landing. <laughs> just just very laconically. I, I I appreciate that he didn't he didn't pull any punches. He's like, this is this is what you're hearing, and let me boil it down for you. Right. Um, and it's uh, and it's also, I, I mean, I I can remember. During the Gemini missions, they hardly ever played any uh, gr uh, ground-to-air or air-to-ground uh, transmissions. You never heard it. All you heard was the PAO's voice. And uh, as, it, as it went on, uh, they, I think they finally realized people want to hear human beings going about their missions. So right. we, get, we get to hear all the good stuff and all the bad stuff you know, as, as, as things happen. Um, I think that was – and that, you know, I think that all boiled out of the, uh, the space race of uh, – that the U.S. space program was kind of a very open operation, that they didn't want to keep any secrets from the public, they didn't want to sugarcoat anything. So, right. um, you know, un unfortunately, at the time of Apollo 13, they really didn't broadcast a lot of things because the public had lost interest up until, you know, this disaster. Isn't that staggering to think in the, in the course of, what was it, Nine months or so between eleven and thirteen was it? Uh, yeah, July of sixty-nine to April is April of seventy, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. That uh, you know, in July of sixty-nine, it was the most momentous uh, scientific achievement of all time. And nine months later, ho hum, another yeah. you know another flight to the moon. We may not even watch it on TV. Let's see what uh, <laughs> let's see what no, else it, is on. And it took a disaster to bring you back, you know, right? To, yeah, to get everyone's attention and and, uh, and bring them back. Uh, well, well, hopefully we're we're getting getting the word out in shows like shows like we have here. Um, well, hey, this has been a fascinating minute, and Hal, thank you so much again for sitting in. Hopefully, you can come back tomorrow and we can we can chat a bit more. My pleasure. Um, it's always fun to get, like I said, get the band. Yeah, back to together. get the band back together. It's never <laughs> our uh, Billy hasn't called in yet, so we'll <laughs> we'll leave a space open for him if he wants to chat it's, about it. Always room for Billy. Yeah, wow. Well, uh, for folks wanting to listen to uh, previous episodes, you can always find us online at Apollo13Minute.com. You can also reach out to us on social media like Facebook at the Apollo 13 Mission Control or on Twitter at Apollo13Minute. Uh, find us, as usual, on iTunes or Google Play or wherever your fine podcasts are delivered up. 
Uh, we're out there. Just search for Apollo 13 Minute and click subscribe, and you'll get us hot and fresh every morning, Monday through Friday. Uh, looks like we're coming up on loss of signal in about 30 minutes, or 30 seconds, actually. So we'll see you tomorrow here on the Apollo 13 Minute. Thank you.